Let us pray. Loving God, may we hear your voice call our name and claim us as beloved. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. Hear now the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. This is the word of God. So it's a little bit of a dated film reference, but I absolutely love the movie Stranger Than Fiction. And I, I love the main character, Harold Crick. He's a tax auditor, and he perfectly embodies the stereotypical notion of a tax auditor. He's uptight, he's rigid, he's detached, he's seemingly unfeeling. He has one friend, and he lives this really boring and redundant life. And for 12 years, he's lived his life with such meticulous and obsessive compulsive routine that you could set your watch by him. As the movie begins, there's this omniscient voice that narrates his life, noting all of his predictable patterns. He's a complete control freak. As he brushes each tooth, he counts the brush strokes. He knows the precise number of seconds that it takes to tie his tie in the morning, and he calculates the exact number of steps it takes over a particular distance at a fixed speed to arrive at the bus stop just in time to board the bus. Efficiency and predictability by means of tedious repetition are of utmost importance to him because he's the perfect tax auditor. He pours all of his energy into living out this identity of his. He's seemingly, he thinks, he's in complete and total control. Until one morning, as he brushes his teeth and as he counts brush strokes, he suddenly becomes aware of the voice that's narrating his life. He begins to look around, wondering where the voice is coming from. It's obvious that it's not his own. In fact, he, he knows it's not his own because it's a British woman. And, <laughs> and not only is she narrating all of his actions, but she's narrating his private thoughts all out loud. He starts to freak completely out. He's looking all around the bathroom. He's wondering if the voice is coming from his toothbrush. 
He even starts to talk back. Who said that? Who just said Harold is counting his brushstrokes? How do you know I'm counting my brushstrokes? As Harold goes through the rest of his day, he discovers a number of things. First of all, it's definitely not his voice. Second of all, he's the only one that can hear this strange voice. And third of all, this mysterious British narrator lady, she's always correct. He decides that the voice is not evidence that he's schizophrenic. He explains this by saying, you know, she narrates my life accurately and with a better vocabulary. It's not some figment of his imagination or some manifestation of his own subconscious. Over the course of the day, he seems to kind of adjust to the fact that he's got this British woman narrating his life. He even kind of accepts it. Until this mysterious voice reveals a fate to him that he can't accept. Watch this movie clip. Harold assumed his watch was simply on the fritz and never even considered that it might be trying to tell him something. In fact, Harold had never once paid attention to his watch other than to find out the time. And honestly, it drove his watch crazy. And so on this particular Wednesday evening, as Harold waited for the bus, his watch suddenly stopped. Sorry, does anyone have the time? Yeah, I got um, 6.18. Thanks. Thus, Harold's watch thrust him into the immitigable path of fate. Little did he know that this simple, seemingly innocuous act would result in his imminent death. What? What? Hey! Hello? What? Why? Why my death? Hello? Excuse me? When? How imminent? Now, Harold Crick knows that if he continues to live out the life that this voice narrates for him, his death is imminent. But he has no idea exactly when this is going to happen or how it's going to take place or if there's any way to escape it. Suddenly, he is very driven to discover the source of this voice in hopes that he can claim some actual control of his life and change his fate. His is a timeless predicament, one that people of all times and places have struggled with. Everyone in Judea and Jerusalem, Scripture says, came to be baptized. And with them came lots of voices. Emma, can you bring up that image? Thank you. The most numerous, of course, were the voices of the repentant. They had come seeking righteousness. They wanted to connect or reconnect with God more deeply, so they repented by confessing their sins and begging for God's forgiveness. And the repentant, they were subject to competing voices. 
They heard the voices of the Roman Empire who occupied their land and called them to model citizenship, which for them meant that you should hail the emperor, pay your taxes, and then you can enjoy the peace of Rome. The problem was that for a faithful Jew to listen to these voices was to commit blasphemy. Caesar was hailed as a god, and the coins that they were required to pay their taxes with had an engraved image on them of Caesar. The Jews worshipped one true God, and they were forbidden to possess graven images. Then on the other hand, there was John's voice that was calling everyone within shouting distance to repent and be baptized. Today's translation, which is the Common English Bible, says that this baptism, John's baptism, was to mark how people were changing their hearts and their lives. Turning back to God, which would, for, uh, for the more faithful Jew, feel more faithful, but there were other voices that were disputing the authority and the value of John's baptism. And Mark's gospel doesn't mention it, but Matthew and Luke both point out that there were also the voices of the Jewish religious community, the leaders of the Jewish faith that were also at the Jordan, and they were calling people to self-righteousness through fidelity to the law of Moses. So there's this whole cacophony of voices that must have been completely overwhelming. All of these represent people who were trying, I think, to be their best selves. They were trying to be who God had created them to be, but, I mean, what voice do you listen to? How do you know? Should they listen to Rome? Should they listen to the Pharisees, the Sadducees? Should they listen to John? Every one of these voices threatened a certain kind of death if they chose not to listen. And they haven't even heard the voice of this coming one that John speaks of. I mean, who is he anyway? The one who's going to baptize them not with water but with the Holy Spirit? What, what is he going to have to say? These poor people are navigating all of these expectations and ideals that all these different voices are shouting at them. They're working hard. As meticulously as Harold Crick counts brushstrokes to live authentic and faithful lives. They must be exhausted. At least I would think they would be. I can relate. I wonder if you can, or am I the only Harold Crick in the house? <laughs> I hear voices. I think we all sometimes hear voices, voices that want to tell us who we are or who we should be, voices that want to define our ideals or tell us how to accomplish them. And we invest a lot of energy either toward realizing those ideals or condemning ourselves for our failure to do so. These voices, they're killing us. Little do we know, but our death is imminent. Carefully crafted ads exploit our insecurities and tell us what we should look like, what we should have, where we should live, how we should spend our time, and if we want to be who they say we should be, 
We're told that we have to buy their products or use their services. Then there are the critical voices that drive us to do or say or feel certain things in a certain way. There's political voices that spin issues to influence our votes and gain our loyalty. There's even well-meaning voices, the voices of our friends and our family, our teachers, even preachers, who sometimes influence or call into question how it is that we see ourselves and how we live our lives. And sometimes that's helpful, and sometimes it's not very helpful. It's exhausting. We're encouraged by all of these competing voices to be someone or to act in ways that don't necessarily represent our authentic selves, our true selves. And oftentimes we, like Harold Crick, had been for 12 years, are completely deaf to those voices. We have thoughts and feelings, we make decisions, we take action, we live lives that we think we're narrating when suddenly I find myself in the middle of some sort of particular course of action or in the middle of saying something and I wonder, wait a minute, how did I get here exactly? Or I'm talking mid-sentence and I have one of those out-of-body experiences. Y'all ever have those? Where you're right in the middle of doing or saying something and all of a sudden you're standing outside yourself watching yourself and you're wondering, wait, who's there? Who just said that? Was that me? <laughs> Who did that? Who is that person right there saying those things, doing those things? I mean, on some level, we know that that's not really us, not our authentic selves, not who we meant to be at least, certainly not who God made us to be. Jesus heard voices too. He heard outside voices that claimed particular things about who he was, about who these voices thought he should be. He'd heard the voices of Rome. He'd heard the voices of the Jewish religious leaders. And it's not in today's reading, but immediately following the scripture that I read today, Jesus is drawn into the wilderness where he hears the voice of Satan. The one that Hebrew scripture, the scripture that Jesus would have been familiar with, identifies or understood as the adversary or the accuser, that voice that is opposed to God. And this voice tempted him. It attempted to pervert his understanding of who he was, tempted him to exploit who he was, said things to him like, if you are the son of God, then why don't you X, Y, and Z? Prove it to me. And when that didn't work, the voice said, you know, why don't you be my son instead of God's son? I'll give you power over everything on the earth. Somehow I don't think that Jesus really wondered whose voices they were or where they came from. Because as we heard in our scripture today, Jesus heard, I think always, the voice of the one who upon the occasion of his baptism split the heavens and claimed in a voice of rolling thunder, I imagine, you are my son. In you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved. 
I was reminded recently by something that I read of something that I actually realized several years ago but haven't thought about in a while. It's something that I imagine Jesus always knew, uh, at least he seemed to live into it. God created me, and God calls me and claims me to my true self, which is God's beloved child. And here's the part that really kind of pierced me. God won't call me to something, and God will not call me to be somebody that I can't do or be. That might be obvious to y'all, but for me it was revolutionary because I've always tried really hard to be who I thought I should be, to live into some ideal that others place on me. I've always tried so hard to live into an identity that is defined by this cacophony of voices that we hear outside ourselves. And for me, there is so much freedom and so much life in the realization that you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to think or feel any particular thing. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you have, where you live, how you vote. It doesn't even matter whether or not you perfectly practice your faith. It does not matter what any other voice has to say. You're mine, God thunders, and I love you with my whole heart. As we remember our baptism in a minute, I hope that you will listen. I hope that you'll be able to hear that voice. And I hope that all of us can grow in our ability to trust that voice. I can only imagine what it might be like if we could all, always, live as if that voice were true. Today's scripture invites us to let go of all those competing voices, that great cacophony of deceptive voices, those voices that are killing us. And it invites us to turn instead toward God and listen for the one and trust the only voice that knows truly who we are and claims us as God's own beloved. Amen.